Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada. Streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Float, Odyssey, Telegram, Twitch, and the Prepper Broadcast Network. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is August 29th, 2022, and this is episode 161 of the Workshop Podcast. So real quick, guys, first off, if you haven't joined yet, the easiest way to support the workshop is patchofthemonth.co. Run by there, got all kinds of, I got a ton of different designs coming out over the next 12 months. So if you're interested, get signed up before the end of the first week of September and you will be in on the ground floor, $10 a month, $100 a year, and you'll get the very first, the inaugural patch from the Patch of the Month Club. Don't miss out. So get signed up, have it sent out to you. Number two, if you're new listening here or if you've been around the fringes of the workshop community for quite some time, come by and join the Telegram group. The easiest way to find that link is in the description of wherever you're listening to this right now. It is the place where we share information, failures, and successes as a community. Come by there and share your wisdom with us. And finally, change a schedule this week or an extra show, you'll have the uh, Friday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, William Fortgen, the author of One Second After, will be live in the workshop to discuss EMPs and, of course, his highly successful and <laughs> highly lauded within the Prepper community One Second After book series. I am excited. Okay, finally, today's tool. If you guys are looking for a cordless alternative or a cordless version of a pole saw, the DeWalt pole chainsaw is the way to go. The link will be in the description today. Just used it this morning to trim up a, a nice tree. It's great even at you know shoulder level because it's lighter, easy to balance. You can get into places so that you're not getting all scratched up. I've had it for three years growing strong now. The thing has tons of power. It's not too heavy. It's easily, it's well balanced, and you just don't get fatigued from using it. So if you're on the DeWalt platform, check that out. Link will be in today's description. Anything you pick up with my Amazon links help to support the workshop. Okay, guys, so I had a great conversation Sunday evening with Joel from Fortress K9. It went just over two hours. I decided, hey, why not split it up into two parts and put one out Monday, one out Tuesday. So without further ado, here is part two of my incredible conversation with Joel from Fortress K9. But so in that case, I'm actually helping the person by engaging with them. But again, it, it still depends on who you are as a person. If you're a single mom or you're a mom out by herself with the, you know, three kids, well, he gets whatever he gets if he attacks you and your kids, because I'm getting me and my kids to my car. My primary um, priority is getting my children to safety. And even in that situation, though, I'm probably going to, as soon as I get in the car and I can get to where I can drive away, rolling my window down and calling my dog out and calling them back to me. And then I'm probably leaving the parking lot and calling the cops and saying, this happened. I'm not going back to that location, but if you want to meet me at another place, I'll meet to give a, you know, a report or whatever. Um, so, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. It, it's just like there's never a one size fits all, I guess, is the point of that. Sure. It's fights are always dynamic and they always have to be dealt with dynamically. So when you you mentioned earlier about uh, police trained dogs mm -hmm. are, are basically trained to bite a hold, hold on and shake, basically. Right. Whereas. So what would the difference be? I mean, that's to hold and to minimize damage, but it's still going to be painful. So right. what would your dogs do different? in that instance that would 
I mean, I obviously, I like you said, if their other hand came in, they would jump over. But are they? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how gory this is, but are they trained to basically, you know, sink into the flesh and tear it off, or where yeah. do they? How does that happen? So, what most people that train and there's there's always variations, little variations to these things, and depending on the philosophy that different people have in training. But most of the dogs that do a full mouth bite. If you go and watch the videos, even police videos of the dogs that have been trained this way, they actually don't want them to pull and thrash. They right. want them to drive in farther. So they train them to drive in. So a lot of times, like one of the popular places right now to train a dog to bite is a bicep. So whoop, trying to get my camera there right. Yep. So because biceps are a bigger muscle, so it hurts more. It actually okay. creates less damage, but it hurts more because the amount of force they're creating on a larger muscle group creates more nerve reaction, right? So there's more pain associated with it. And they mm -hmm. wanted to drive into the bicep, not rip away. We train our dogs to pull away. So we'll do a couple of different things. We're working our puppies and they, they get to the point where they're confident enough to bite a, a sleeve is they'll bite the sleeve and I'll move my arm back and forth like this. And then I'll stop and you'll see the dog go. Rrr. And then when they stop, I move my arm back and forth and then I stop and they go. Rrr, and they so they're I'm teaching them to thrash their head back and forth. Right. OK. Or I'll pull back and then I'll give in to them. And when, as soon as I start to give in, they use their back legs and they jerk back. And so I want them to do that because that's how their canines create the, the injury. Their canines right. come in and they they pull through the muscle when they're on a bite sleeve that's made of kevlar and other material like that they're not tearing the sleeve right so i have to be cautious not to injure their teeth in those situations but when there's no sleeve no bite suit to deal with they're going through that flesh and they're tearing through it well the minute they come off they're hitting right back on again wow and so they're doing this over and over to the person which is that does several things number one it ends the threat very very quickly so it's either going to end the threat, which hopefully the person just goes, holy shit, this is way worse than I thought it was going to be. Please make it stop. <laughs> right? And the second they do that, I want to make it stop. Sure. Because the, the other thing that we had to remember about fights is I could be winning a fight right this second and the next second I could lose it. I could be dominating a fight for four minutes and in one second I could lose it. I could have one wrong move or they could have one lucky move and it could all be over. Right. Sure. So I don't want my dog in that fight any longer than I, they have to be. Not only for the person's safety, because I don't want to kill a person if I don't have to, but for the dog's safety and for my safety. So the faster I can end that fight, the better. And so the second that person is like, please make it stop, whether they're saying, get them off, get them off or whatever they're doing. Right. Even just curling into the fetal position because they don't know what else to do. I want that dog off that person. And so, yes, it can cause tremendous amount of injury, but that all depends on whether or not the person remains a threat to me or not. Fair and, enough. And a lot of our dogs, like if you get our family protection dogs and above, you can call those dogs off a person, even if they're still fighting. Wow. So let's say a person's, you know, you deploy your dog and you run away and the person's still fighting the dog. And I go, oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. That dog's going to disengage and come back to me even in the middle of the fight. Like it may take them a second, depending on if they have to like dodge out of the way or react to a specific threat. But then as soon as they can disengage, they're off and they're coming back to me. So there are cases in which the person may still be fighting, but you are no longer personally at risk. Sure. You create enough distance from the person 
Now they may chase you and that would create a new, a new scenario right now. They've now at that point though, you've got so much justification for pretty much any use of force. I've deployed a dog on you. It injured you. I ran away. I called my dog back and you still came after me. It's hard for anybody to say that wasn't justified lethal force. Um, so you kind of get into these situations that can almost get ridiculous if you push them to their conclusion. But I try to set our dogs up for having the ability to react in the widest spectrum to the most potential scenarios. And, and so I won't say we're perfect, but I, I, we try to do the best we can to get the dogs familiar with as many different situations as possible. So if, how good are your dogs at reading the situation? So I, I'm just thinking because I'm kind of foolish sometimes. Like I'm thinking I got my, one of my best buddies out East. And when I go home to visit him, you know, on occasion, I've been known to like sneak up on him at work, you know, and come up behind him and like give him a big bear hug or something. Right. How would they react to something like that? Not to get too, you know, I didn't want to go too specific, yeah. but I was kind of, that might be one of those scenarios, right? Yep. So there's a couple of things. I go from a common sense perspective. If you have one of our dogs and you have people around you that like to do little pranks like that, you need to let them know, don't do that around my dog. Right. right. Um, but because not everybody listens, <laughs> sure. we do. So our, this is in our family protection and above dogs. So we have a, a one level below that. That's a personal protection dog. So um, a lot of your public exposure and things like that still need to be done, but the protection work and the stability has been done on the dog. Right. And, uh, but in our family protection dogs, we run through a bunch of scenarios. One of the scenarios we run through, or we call them home invasion scenarios. And these, the way that we run the scenario varies really big. So sometimes we sneak into the house and we're already in the house and we attack the person and the dog has to react to it. <clears throat> Most of them are some version of, I'm a delivery guy, and the minute you unlock and open your door, I'm going to shove my shoulder in the door and try and knock you on the ground and break into your house. Because that's how most actual home invasions happen, is if, if your door is locked like it should be and they can't get in, they knock on the door, they wait for you to unlock it, and then the moment they have the opportunity, they shove the door in as hard as they can in an attempt to knock you on the ground so that two, three, five guys can rush in and get control of the family. So we'll run these scenarios with these dogs and the dogs have to come up and engage the threat. Right. And when we first start running the scenarios, all of the scenarios are threat scenarios. So every time there's a person in the house attacking the person, the dog is supposed to go in and engage. And then we go through a series where they're, it's like police doing shoot, no shoot drills. It's okay. like bite, no bite drills. So, and one of my favorite drills to run in this situation is I go, I call it the crazy aunt Milda scenario. Sure. And so yeah. they open the, the door I kind of push it open, not quite as hard as I do otherwise, but it's like, it's it's not just them opening it, right? I step inside and I go, oh baby, I've seen you in 20 years, it's so good to see you. I put my arms around them. I'm kind of shaking them around a little bit and I'm talking in this like kind of crazy voice and literally I've had zero of our dogs attack me in those scenarios. Okay. And, uh, and so one of the things we do in our training, like right from the very beginning, and I tell my clients that are, are working the dogs, whether it's my trainers that are doing it or, or a client that brings a dog to me for bite training, is I say, for us, bite work is always serious. We don't use the, the concept, which a lot of other places use, and it's fine if that's what they want to do. It's just not what we do. But most places go, 
here's a tug. Isn't this fun? Okay, now I'm going to transition to this other tug. Isn't this fun? Now I'm going to wear the tug like a bite sleeve. Isn't this fun? Now I'm going to wear a whole suit that's a tug. Isn't this fun? Now I'm going to slowly try to add stress. We take a completely different approach. I have an eight-week-old puppy, and it's on a flat collar, which is a normal smooth collar, right? Not a, No correction associated with it. And this puppy has is placed in a situation where it has two choices. It can do something aggressive toward me or it can get hurt. That's its only two choices. Now, hurt for a puppy is getting a pinch on the thigh, right? Okay. But if it doesn't do something, it's getting pinched on the thigh. Right. And real quickly, it learns, I better do something about this because we take away its ability to run, right? It's on a lead and the person's almost always standing against a wall. So okay. it can't even run around behind this person a bunch of times. It, it literally tries to back up and there's nowhere to go. And so we give it an opportunity for a couple minutes before we do any pinching. So, you know, to kind of like, well, you know, here's, here's a threat. This is a threat to you. Are you going to do anything about it? And I'll like act like I'm going to pinch, but I won't actually pinch and see what are you going to do about it? And then if they won't, they get pinched. And real quickly that dog goes, rawr, rawr, rawr. and I go, <gasps> and now they've won the fight and I move on to the next dog. Now, next time it's going to be a little bit more. And next sure. time it's going to be a little bit more. But from the very beginning, our dogs, they never look at bite work as a game. And I tell my clients this all the time. When you're on that end of the lead, you're the person handling the dog. Put yourself mentally in a scenario where you have to use your dog. So if it's a, a young guy working with me and he's married, if I see he's not doing it, I go, this dog doesn't fucking bite me. I'm raping your wife. Wow. All of a sudden he goes, holy shit. And he feels that tingle go up his spine, that yep. adrenaline rush. And he's like, watch him. And his whole demeanor changes because now he got serious. <coughs> well, I, I'm doing the same thing on my end. I'm like, I will literally, it, our bike sessions are often like this. Hey puppy, how's it going? Cause they all come out from wherever they were and they go, go get these puppies to train. They bring the puppies out. I get on my knees. I'm petting all the puppies and they're all excited because they're getting pet on. And then I go, go to your spots for, Bite work, and then we go through, and we and we go from that to agitating. And the minute I go to agitating, I go, I'm gonna hurt you if you don't do something about it. Like in my mind, that's what I think. Sure. Dog goes, it's serious time. Rawr, 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 rawr. And I come in, and they put their teeth on me, right? And I also don't wear any equipment until they're biting hard enough to actually. I got scars all over my arms because when they get to the point where they create an injury, then I start wearing equipment. So they're hmm. started on raw, you know, skin. And um, so I'll go through it. And then when the bite work is over, they go, it's done. And the puppies all come in and get loving from me again. And people will say, that's crazy. And I'm like, what it teaches the dog to do is target aggression. Right. I want my dogs to target aggression, not weird activity, not somebody who is playing around when maybe they shouldn't be. But I want them to target aggression. And when I become aggressive, they target that. And we'll do drills where I'll be wearing a full suit and we do a lot of what we call deployments where I'm in a certain spot and maybe I'm using some of the things in that environment to teach the dogs how to fight and avoid different situations and things like that. But a lot of times I'll put the suit on and I'll just lean back. We have this big tunnel that I use to pin the dogs in against and I'll just lean back against the big tunnel. I'll kind of, I don't trap my arms, but I kind of put my arms, you know, in a position and they deploy the dogs and I just stand there. They run up to me and they kind of, Oh, and every once in a while, they'll go, like, on the end of the sleeve. And I go, ow. And they're like, and they run back to their person. 
they're like, he's not a threat. Like, hmm. we thought he was going to be a threat, but he didn't do anything. So there's nobody to fight. And, um, and that's exactly what I want them to do, right? These aren't apprehension dogs that are supposed to bite a non-compliant person in a car and drag them out. Right. Now, whether police should ever be doing that or not is another conversation, but they're used for that frequently, right? Yeah. And, and so because of that, they want them to bite anybody they tell them to, even no matter what they're doing. And in my situation with our dogs, if you deploy your dog and the person suddenly sees, oh, shit, I messed up. And they're like, no, 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 before the dog even gets there. Right. I want the ability to go out. Let's go. And the dog stop mid stride and come back to me. If the person ceases to be a threat, even mid deployment, then they're not a threat. And that doesn't mean that there won't be any tag at all. But our dogs bring the level of fight <laughs> to the person that the person brings. Sure. So I actually I have two new guys training with me right now. And, and they both commented on it recently. They were like, man, like when I when I ramped it up, they just kept freaking ramping it up. Like I was, I didn't realize they would keep going higher and higher. And I'm like, that's what they always do. They fight at the level you're fighting at. So if, if you're fighting weak, they actually won't even engage as much. They'll like bite and then they kind of jump off and they circle around and they're like, you're not really fighting that hard. So we don't really need to engage with you. And then you ramp it up and you charge one of the dogs and you start fighting harder and they go, Vroom, and they ramp it way up, start fighting harder and thrashing more. And it's all in reaction to the threat. What level of force do I need to use on this threat? And our dogs don't look at it as a game. They look at it as, I must do this because it's a threat. I only target aggression. So why would I bite somebody who's not being aggressive? And the minute they're not aggressive anymore, it's pretty much over. That's cool. Do you want to work through some of the... I, so we're, you know, we don't have to finish anytime soon yet, but I've got like a hundred other questions running around in my head. So I'm probably going to have to have you back down the road if you're up for it. So Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, whatever you want to do. You want to ask some questions or, or have some? Yeah, I've got I got 10 questions start here from the from the community that have asked right. as we've gone along. So we'll work through them and we'll see. So Chris was actually in before the show even started. So here's the first one. He said, uh, I'd like to hear insights or tips on getting a dog to release from the bark. Is that right? To release from the bark. We are training our bull mastiff pup, but are struggling with ending the bark consistently. She's seven months old. Okay, so I'm assuming here he's talking about like barking when somebody comes to the door or something like that. Um, not like I'm putting the dog on watch and it's barking. And, um, and so I don't use e-collars for very many things, but one of the things e-collars in my opinion are really good for is ending strictly unwanted behaviors. Okay. Right. So you probably heard Jack talk about putting an e-collar on Charlie and anytime he goes near a chicken, he zaps him. Right. Yes. Not associating himself with that correction. He's letting the dog associate the chicken with the correction. I go near a chicken, I get shocked. Don't go near electric birds, they'll shock you. And um, and so it's a way of make, giving a correction and not having yourself directly associated with it. And so what I recommend if you're gonna use an e-collar, you put it on, you let him wear it for about a week. Don't use it, just let him wear it. So what oh. you don't ever wanna do is put an e-collar on a dog, use the e-collar, take the e-collar off. The dog will learn immediately. That collar shocks me. And so when it's not on, they're like, I don't have it on. I don't, I don't have to worry about it. When they're, as soon as you put it on, they're like, I'm good. But the problem people run into is the minute they take it off, the dog misbehaves again, right? So you put the e-collar on, you don't use it. You let them forget they're wearing it. Hmm. And then about seven days in, the dog starts to bark and I go quiet or whatever command you want to use. We use quiet. 
if they don't stop barking, I give them a pop. And uh, uh, depending on some of them have like one through 10, some of them have like one through a hundred. And so the one through 10 are like bigger steps in between each one. And the other ones a little bit more minor climbs, but you want to find, I go like one third of the way up to start and see how the dog reacts. If they don't react to that, I I click up maybe two clicks. If it was the one to a hundred, I'd go up maybe 15 points and then I give them another bump. And the minute you start seeing them go, like they kind of twitch a little when they, cause it doesn't, it's not like a taser. Sure. If it goes off over and over again, it, it does create pain, but it's, it's mostly this like weird sensation. It's like, it, have you ever, well, it's, it, have you ever hit your funny bone? Yeah. Yeah. Not hard enough for it to like truly cause pain, but where it sends that, that kind of shock up your arm. It's like that wherever it's touching, it like sends that little weird neurological sensation in. And uh, so it's not comfortable, but it's not specifically pain. But the higher you go, the more there's a pain associated with it. So you, for us, my, my philosophy is we use the lightest correction to get the desi- desired result. Now, that light correction might be a hard correction if the dog is a freaking bonehead. Or yeah. it might be a very sensitive dog and a light correction is all it needs. But I let the dog decide how hard their correction is by using the lightest correction that we need for that particular dog. And uh, so I start low and I work my way up. And they bark, I pop. They bark, I pop. And if they continue barking, then your correction is not hard enough. Bump it up a little bit more. And sometimes you'll get a yelp. I don't care if I get a yelp or not. I care whether I get the obedience. So if I said quiet and you kept barking, you're getting a zap. Now, here's the key, though. The second they stop barking, good quiet. Good quiet. Right? You want them to associate I said quiet with stop barking. And most of our dogs, once they're bonded to us, want us to be happy with them anyway. So if I give a command and then they do the command and then I don't praise, it confuses the dog. Am I doing what you want or am I not doing what you want? If I give a command, the dog does the command and I say good and the command. Number one, my vocal is communicating this idea of I'm happy with you now. Good job. You did a good job. And they're hearing that command repeated. Right. So quiet, good, quiet, sit, good, sit, plutz, good, plutz Just lay down for us. And so um, that's how I would do it. If you, if they're doing it like in the backyard, something like that, when you're not around, um, they're just barking and annoying neighbors, a bark collar is better for that. So a bark collar actually detects the vibration of the bark and automatically the ones I use, um, I'll try, I'll, I'll see if I can send you a, a link. Sure. And, um, but it has a little, there's three posts. The two on the outside are the, the stimulation posts. The one in the middle detects vibration and first vibration. It does this high pitched beep. It's kind of quiet, but the dogs can hear it pretty well. So that's how you actually test the battery. You rub it like on a wooden desk and you hold it up to your ear and you hear, that's the first warning. The second, it gives a, a light pop and then it has six levels. It keeps climbing. And when they stop barking, it stops shocking them. And then in 10 seconds, it resets. Okay. And so if you're trying to do that with an e-collar, it's very difficult. If they're like out back and they're just barking at random things, right? People walking past the road and stuff like that. If they're wearing a bark collar, it's doing the work for you. And it's being very consistent. Hmm. It goes beep, shock, 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 shock. And very quickly, you'll learn those dogs just, I'm not barking. And <laughs> I like dogs that 
um, wore him for a little while, and then they they hadn't had him on in a couple months. And I actually was watching one of my dogs one time. She was on top of her doghouse, and we were in Alaska, and a moose kind of walked near our, our property, and she went, woof! And as soon as she did it, she went, Because she was like, oh, no, I barked. I'm not supposed to bark. I'm going to get shocked. And then she realized, okay, I didn't get shocked. I'm good. So even after you, like, and I do the same thing with those. I put them on and I let them wear them for like a month after they stop barking. Okay. So I don't immediately take them off as soon as it stops because then you're putting them back on and then they're like, oh, wait a minute. You put this thing on, I get shocked. You take it off. I don't get shocked. So I'll be good when it's on and I'll be naughty when it's off. And uh, the one thing you do have to watch with any of those colors is if you have to use it a lot, they can burn. They can cause burns. And okay. um, so if your dog is really bullheaded or really stubborn, um, you can burn your dog with those. So obviously if that happens, you got to take it off, put Neosporin and heal it up and that kind of good stuff. Um, generally, if they're getting burnt though, it's because you're not using it high enough, which means you're having to use it more frequently. Right. More frequently is what's causing the burn. Whereas if you bump it up higher, it's more intense, but it's less frequent. And so you do it once or twice and the dog's like, holy crap, I'm not doing that anymore. And then you don't have to keep using it. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, if you put a bark collar on a dog and it keeps barking through the collar, it's probably going to burn itself. That's cool. All right. Next one is from Llama Llama. What a great profile picture and a great name. Oh, I love it. Can a protection, can a protection dog lead a normal, happy dog life or are they always on point? So I would say it depends on what you mean by a normal, happy dog life. So a lot of people mean by that, that the dog gets to do whatever it wants and run around and go wherever it wants in the house and do whatever. And there are some dogs that thrive on that. Probably your little chihuahuas are pretty happy doing that. A lot of Labradors are pretty, you know, the, that type of dog, right, are happy doing yep. that. If you do that with a Malinois, a German Shepherd or a Dutch Shepherd, especially a working line, because there's non-working line German Shepherds out there now, sadly. Oh. But um, most of your AKC registered dogs are broken in the German Shepherd world. But um, you're talking about a working line dog. That dog thrives on and desires structure in its life. If you don't give it structure, it gets very nervous and it doesn't know what to do. And so that's when they become destructive, right? You, you don't give that dog a, a job to do. And by a job, I mean just something to focus on, right? It will eat your couch. And right. so I tell my clients, <laughs> When your dog's in its house, it's either should be at your side or it should be in a place. A place is wherever you want it to be. It's convenient, but it goes there and it, it stays there. It can get up and turn around. It can stretch. It can move, but it stays in that spot, hmm. right? And if I'm going to be in another room for a while, I'm probably bringing that dog into the other room with me, right? My dogs sleep on the bed with me, so not everybody wants that, but mine do. And so if I'm in the bedroom, I put the dog on the bed. If I'm in the living room, it's sitting at my feet or where I normally sit where my feet would be if I was sitting down, right? If, if I'm in the kitchen for an extended period of time, it's in the kitchen laying down. So it's always with me. And you know where that dog wants to be more than anywhere else? It wants to be with its handler. It right. wants to be near its person because it's bonded to you. And it wants to know exactly what you want it to do and that it is doing what you want it to do. And so that's what makes these dogs happiest. And that's not all dogs, but that's any working line dog is they need a job. And when people say that, they think, oh, it needs to run or it needs to find explosives. No, its job is to do what you told it to do. I said, wait, you must wait. I said, go to your place. You must go to your place. I said, foost with me, which is walk at my side. You must foost with me. 
And, and that is enough of a job for these dogs. They thrive on discipline. And when you see that people are being inconsistent or undisciplined, and that doesn't mean you have to be military discipline. It just means that you have to establish a level of discipline that works for both you and the dog. Right. And for, so for most people, that means you probably need to ramp your discipline up a little bit. I bring yeah. my dog to you with a discipline level way up here with the full expectation that they're going to end up somewhere down here. Right. Well, you're probably starting here. And so you need to kind of come up a little bit and then you'll find this is my happy medium place. I had to get a little bit more self-discipline. My dog didn't need to be as disciplined as it was when Joel trained it. But now we found this happy medium where I'm not feeling like it's a work all the time. And the dog is comfortable and, and confident in the environment that we've created together. Got another one here for you. I jumped ahead a little quick. Sorry about that. I didn't mean okay. to. Uh, is it true? This one's from Cabot. It says, is it true detection dogs are cued to false alert on command? Ah, this is a law enforcement question. So you're talking about law enforcement stuff? Yeah. Uh, I would never say that all of them are. But here's the thing. Most detection dogs indicate with a strong sit. That's the standard. You find the thing, you sit and you stare at the thing that you supposedly found, right? If your dog, most sport line dogs tend to be kind of neurotic and obsessive over their toys, which is why they're working. They use toys. We don't use toys and treats. Um, and so if your dog is in the middle of a search and you want it to give the appearance of, a, of an indication, you just say seats and that dog will sit. And then you can say, he alerted. Right. And for us, and, and a lot of dogs are trained this way, there's also lead direction that communicates to a dog. So depending on how the dog is being used in the search, for me, if I do a lead direction straight up, so I have the lead in my hand, the dog is with me, and I just put tension straight up. I'm not popping. This is not a correction. This is just I'm communicating. I lift up. That dog feels that tension. That means sit. Hmm. And, and I lift up. And the dog sits. And the minute the dog starts to, to drop its rump, I'm relaxing that tension, right? So their butt hits the ground, zero tension on the lead. And so if my dog is searching and I just subtly go up, and for those who can't see if you're audio only, I'm lifting up with my hand just in, in a slight jerky motion, that communicates to the dog, stop and sit. And they go, Oop, and drop their butt, right? And then I don't want to sit around and wait for to, so the dog starts looking around they're already looking at the vehicle. I make them sit and I go positive alert and I walk off. So I would never say that everybody does that, but I am very untrusting of law enforcement. Sure. I think if you're in law enforcement for an extended period of time, you're probably corrupt. Not, not everybody, but probably because if you are in law enforcement and you're not corrupt, you probably get out of law enforcement pretty quickly. And there's a few exceptions of people who truly want to like help people and stuff like that. And they almost always end up just being street cops their whole life because they never progress. They never make any movement in the industry because they're actually taking care of people rather than playing the political game that a lot of law enforcement wants you to play. And when I went through police Academy, one of my first like red flags was they were teaching us. They, they didn't word it this way, but what they were doing was they were teaching us to trick people and giving up their constitutional rights. Can I search your vehicle? No, you can't. What, do you have something to hide? I'm like, you have no right to ask them that question. If you say, may I search your vehicle, and you don't have any reasonable suspicion or probable cause, and they say no, you say, okay. That's the only <laughs> acceptable response, right? You, you have a badge and a gun. 
you already have implied force to continue to push on that person. 90% of people will give into that, right? And, and they're doing it because you have implied force. That means you're a bully. And if you act that way and you're a law enforcement officer, you are a douchebag and you deserve to lose your badge and go to prison because you're as bad as the people you claim you're fighting against. And so are there people that do that? Yes. Does everybody do that? I don't think so, but it's, it would be an easy thing to do on a dog that is trained in obedience and detection. Thank you. That's a good my law enforcement rant. I'll try and stay off it from now because That's all right. I, I get too worked up on that realm. I know. I do. Yeah, I get it too. Trust me. Becky get Becky sometimes will just nudge me when I get talking to somebody, you know? So, yeah. So I think we touched on this, but it was a question. I saved it for you. Uh, this is from Chuck Peoples. He said, Joel, we'd be putting anyone in a bite suit at Self-Reliance Festival and uh, volunteers. So, so, okay. so John Willis asked us this. And last year we let, um, I can't remember the guy's name. I feel bad. Uh, but he has Grey Wolf Tactical. That is his screen name on YouTube. He's on a lot of John's live streams and stuff like that. And a uh, great guy. I got to meet him. I uh, really enjoyed talking with him. And I let him get in the bite suit and do an only bite from May, one of our female German shepherds. She's like a 65 pound German shepherd. And, um, and I was real cautious about it. What we do, so the simple answer to that is, yes, assuming you can fit one of my bite suits. And so that, meaning we can do it safely, right? I have to be able to do it safely where you're not gonna walk away injured. Uh, you will have to sign a very robust release of liability, which all of my clients that train with me have to sign. Basically it says, you could die right now and you're okay with that. And you still wanna participate. And I'm not responsible. And um, so you have to sign that release of liability. And then um, we will probably do most of those with an on lead bite, which means I'm holding, I have the dog on a lead. They're on a flat collar, not a correction collar, and they can lunge in and bite. But that way, if anything goes wrong, I can pull the dog back. So when you guys, if any of you are there at Self Reliance Festival, I want you to watch this. When we're doing multiple dogs, it is not at all uncommon for one of the dogs in the bite to release and target my face. And I'll be fighting, and Maeve is particularly bad about it. She's, she's tall and she's a fairly big female and she's just, she's smart and sneaky. And um, <laughs> she hits hard in the beginning, right? She's the only dog that's knocked me over in 14 years of doing bite work. She's the only dog that's ever knocked me on the ground. And I've taken bites from bigger dogs, but she's just smart in the way she does things. So, <clears throat> but it like probably once a month, I'm, I'm fighting and it's usually her with another dog, right? So she waits till I'm distracted. She waits till the other dog moves <laughs> and I glance that way to see what's going on. And I, I'll feel her release on the sleeve. And the second I feel her release, I'm like, here she goes again, because she generally doesn't do that unless I'm hitting her, right? But when I turn my head away from her and she releases, I turn and she's coming up and I shoulder check her off of me. So, cause she's in the air, right? She, she can't control her body at that point. So I use my shoulder to knock her back. So that she hits the ground and then comes up and hits me in the arm again. And um, and to just let people take these dogs in normal bites can be pretty dangerous. And so I do I I start everybody on a lead until I see, okay, you seem competent to do this. Because even this young guy that came and trained with us, a great young kid, you can see him on uh, some of my recent Instagram posts and everything. He's usually wearing red pants, but when he's in the bite suit, you can't see the pants. And um like he's a physically fit looking guy. I mean, he's probably in his mid to late twenties and um, looks like he works out at the gym. Um, he, he did a little prison time. So he's been in fights. He knows what he's doing in a fight and uh, you know, like a little scrappy guy. Right. And 
because he was trying to move so much with the dogs and, and engage so much, he actually moved too much and it allowed the dogs to pull him off balance and they took him right to the ground. Oh. So when you don't know what you're doing, it's easy to go to ground. And while we have good dogs, I, I try to minimize those risks. I try to always be careful about fighting dogs is dangerous. Sure. Like even if they don't go through the suit, right? If you don't hold your hand properly, I tell my new people, you inside the suit, you'll feel there's a spot where I always grab the material of the suit. And then you're going to squeeze your forearm as tight as you can, like you're shaking under the giant's hand, right? Firm handshake, but you're doing it as a, as a grip. So your forearm is all tensed up. Your muscles are all tense. Everything is tense in your wrist and your hand is nice and tight. Because when my dogs grab that hand, if you have a limp fish hand, you are going to break a bone. Wow. They're not gonna, there's not going to be penetration through the suit. It's just the pressure of that bite is going to break a bone in your hand. If your hand is tight, it doesn't feel good, but you're not breaking a hand and, and, or a bone. And usually you can go <clears throat> and jerk your hand out of their mouth, and then they have the material, and you're kind of safe. right? And the way I do that when you have one dog is I hit him with my other arm so they get off my freaking hand and in another spot, right? So it's one of those things where we will be doing it on a case-by-case basis in a controlled manner for people who want to do it with a release of liability. And there may be a few exceptions where we will allow somebody to take a dog um, for a deployment, but that would be, I'd have to be confident you can handle it. And it's not a, not a insult to anybody. If you can't, I don't want you going to the emergency room and I don't think you want to go there either. So that's why we'll be doing that. So Cabot wants to know, if it was an unknown person, how are the, how are the dogs after you get out of the suit? That's a good question. Yeah. So um, it depends on the dog, honestly. So I have some dogs that I've trained more as perimeter security dogs. <clears throat> and so those dogs have our small group that they love. And I can move in public with them. I move I have my one dog on the bed is one of these dogs. His name is Stryker. He'll be with us. <clears throat> Big Dutch male, uh, Dutch shepherd, German, uh, not German, Dutch shepherd male. And um, <clears throat> I can move in public with him. He does great. But if we're not here and he's on this property and you come on the property, you're getting ripped up. And that's just his, like, that's what a perimeter security dog does, right? They, anybody that's not supposed to be inside the fence gets ripped up. And so when I do bite work with him, I can drop the jacket and go, good job, buddy. You did it. Yeah. That was a good, good fight. Right. Other people, I just go, let's go. Now I have Maeve, the female German shepherd. I told you who's a beast and will knock people over. She is, I love everybody. Oh, I'm supposed to kill that person. Okay. I go thrash him. It's over. Can they pet me now? Like she has, there's no emotional attachment to it. Right. And so she's great. Most of my dogs are like that. When you do a perimeter security dog, you intentionally create suspicion in them for strangers. And then I tell people, once you do that, you do, you never undo it. Once you do suspicion exercises with a dog, you never undo that. So unless when people sometimes say, Hey, if somebody comes in my house and I'm not home, I want my dog to rip them up. <clears throat> and I go, Okay we can do that. But here are the other things that come with that. And every time a client is asked that and I explain what comes with it, they go, "Never mind. We don't want that." Right? Because create making a dog suspicious of anybody but your family in your home 
we'll protect your home when you're not there. But do you really want somebody to die if they come in your home and you're not there? Like some people will say yes to that, but there's no humans there. Now, should that person go to jail for breaking? Yes, they should. But should they die for it? Probably not. And even if the dog doesn't fully engage, they're probably going to bark at him if you're leaving him home. And so the chances of that person continues to come in are pretty low. But if you want to guarantee that dog, I, I call them bite first, ask questions later dogs. If you want to guarantee that dog will smash anybody who walks through that door that's not in your family, then you get all the other stuff that comes with it, which means you don't have guests that come over to your house without putting your dog away, right? Your kids don't have friends that come over without putting your dog away. And so can it be done? Sure. Is it what you really want? Most people say no. But a perimeter security dog is a little bit different because they're in an enclosed perimeter around a property. And if anybody comes in not through the gate, right, not welcome through, then they know you don't belong here and they engage. And so that's what Stryker's done a lot of that training. How old's Maeve? Just curious. She is three. I'm asking my wife. She's sitting beside me. I think she's about three. I'm just, how did you get her name? So that was actually, we were working with a couple and they were kind of learning to do some bite work stuff with us and things. And they asked to start training a pup and uh, to train a pup for us. And so we said, sure. And we picked out that German Shepherd female and they wanted to name her Maeve. And then I said, you know, there's going to be a contract so that everything's in writing and it's good. I don't have it ready yet, but if you want to take her and start working her now, you can. So they had her for about four weeks. And when I got the contract to them, they went, um, we don't want to sign that contract. And I said, that's fine. Give me my dog back. And we took her back and have been training her since. But I kept her name because I think it's a cool name. I think it means something like warrior princess or something like that in some language. Yeah, there's, there's well, the reason I, the, the new, uh, the boys, it's a, a comic book TV show, and uh, she's a warrior princess. Her name's Maeve. And so that's okay. I, the only time I'd ever heard it before. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. M A E E. Is that how they yeah. spell it? Yeah. 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 Yep. So uh, they must have watched that show too then. And, that's what uh, I'm thinking. Or it may, it may have a further back. I don't know, but it was just yeah. cool. I'd never heard it before. So, yep. Yeah. When and they, they were cool people. And, and it's a, I love the name and, and she fits it very well. She's, she's definitely, she's fierce, but she loves like, She's one that when people come into our booth and they say, can I pet one of them? I'm like, here's Maeve. She loves getting loved on. So Wendy wants to know, what is the difference between from your dogs and a protection dog that I guess uh, that stares at their owner? Yeah. So if you look at a lot of the videos of dogs doing obedience work, um, they are walking beside their person, but they're staring up at their person the whole time. Yeah. Right? looking at their surroundings and all of that. So the reason they do that is most of those dogs are trained on either treats or some kind of toy reward. And if you watch most of the time, the person has their hands either up like this or in a pocket because that's where the toy or the treats are. And the dog is, is walking with their person waiting for their toy or their treat. And so the reason we don't do that, and there, there's very like, a lot of these things you can do and then you can break them later of these mm-hmm. traits that would be bad in a protection situation. I've always just looked at it this way. Why would I do something that I have to break later when I could get the same or better results and not have to break anything later? Hmm. So, um, But the, the dogs are staring at their people waiting for their toy or their reward for the thing. And um, occasionally they use e-collars for that too, but usually it's a toy or a reward. And um, 
So what I want our dogs to do is to walk beside us and check in. So they'll kind of glance to the side to make sure we're, we're where they think we are. But I want them looking at their environment, right? Okay. I'm focusing on their environment. If the dog is staring at me, it's not focused on the guy, you know, 50 yards away that could be a threat. Right. And when, when I move my dogs, um, my dog Ratchet that died a, a little while back, I used to move with him all the time. And he would alert when we walked into a Lowe's or a store. And by alert, what that means is, is their ears go up like straight forward and they, they stare in a direction at something that they're alerting on. Right. So they're not barking or anything like that, but they're telling me, hey, there's somebody over there that I don't think looks quite right. And I used wow. to tell them all the time I'd look in the direction. I'd see who he was targeting and I go. Yeah, we might have to kill him later, but right now let's leave him alone. And then we go about our day, right? And because what I don't want to tell the dog is that person's not a threat because I don't know if they're a threat or not, sure. but they're not a threat to us immediately right at that moment, right? So it's, yeah, I see that guy. We're going to leave him alone for now, but we might have to revisit that conversation if he becomes a threat, right? Because normally when they do that, the person looks shady. Like they almost never do it on somebody who looks like a totally normal person. It's, right they're moving weirdly or they're dressed oddly, or there's something about them that, you know, you would look at them without your dog and go, yeah, that person looks shady. The nice thing about the dog is they're always looking right. Their natural state is they're hypervigilant. And so for somebody like me who came back from Iraq and was hypervigilant all the time and not sleeping and everything else, when my dog became, you know, was hypervigilant, I was able to go, I can just pay attention to one thing you and you'll pay attention to everything else for me. So I didn't have to keep my mind constantly like in exhaustion mode trying to search for everything. I had that question for you too. I was because I know you talk about PTSD. We, maybe if you could touch on it just a hair. Um, did it? Did they help? Did they help the situation? Or yeah. So I have what they technically. So they didn't technically give me PTSD. I found out later. In order to get PTSD, you have to tell them there were three three events that um that you you can't get out of your mind or whatever and i was like oh well i mean i could easily do that but they don't go were there three events that bothered you they just go how are you feeling well i'm feeling like this okay adjustment disorder move on because ptsd is 100 percent disability or at least it was at that time okay so um but i had for sure what they call hypervigilance which is where you can't stop looking around right you have to constantly be aware of everything in your surroundings and i'm still pretty situationally aware um, I like the level that I'm at now. I'm, I'm very comfortable with it, but a lot of your guys that are struggling with like adrenal fatigue because of this and things like that, because it, oh. it literally drains your, your adrenal, uh, you know, system, your endocrine system. And they, they end up in chronic fatigue and all these other problems that just make their PTSD worse because oh. now they're starting to have other health problems that are being caused from it. And, um, so we've done service dogs over the years. I've probably done about 10 service dogs for various different charities. Um, and they're, they're almost always for veterans with PTSD. That's, that's the charities I work with. And so occasionally they've, they've purchased a protection dog. That's also a service dog. Most of the time it's just a service dog. Right. And so we don't do any bite work training with those dogs, but those dogs are still very alert to their surroundings. And I tell the people, do you, do you struggle with hypervigilance? Yes, almost always. I don't think I've ever had anybody say no. I'm like, all right, so what I want you to start practicing is focus on your dog. You need to focus on your dog in the beginning anyway because you need to make sure they're being obedient. You need to make sure they're not trying to get away with stuff because when they get to a new handler, they're like, are you going to make me do all the same stuff they made me do or are you going to let me get away with a bunch of stuff? 
And they're kind of like toddlers in that way, right? They're like, oh, a new person. Can I get away with stuff? Or are you going to make me be disciplined? And so in the beginning, you want to be more disciplined, right? Like I'd say the strict substitute teacher. You're not the weak substitute teacher that walks in. is like, we're just going to have fun today, class. All the naughty kids are like taking advantage of her. If you walk in and go, sit down and shut up. All the kids go, oh, don't mess with this substitute teacher. But then at lunchtime, you can go, now let's go have some fun. But don't mess up or we'll go back the way it was, right? So in the beginning, you're going to need to focus extra on that dog anyway. So turn your, your hypervigilance to being hyper aware of your dog. And what you'll notice very quickly is, number one, you'll start just getting a sense of what your dog is doing without even looking at them. You'll feel the hmm. lead movement. We use a specific lead that has um, – it's got some stiffness to it. So you, as the dog moves, you can actually feel the lead move in your hand even when there's no tension in it. You'll feel whether they're touching your leg or not. You'll you'll like I believe there's something to the energetic connection between the dogs and the human beings. I, I'm a super deep sleeper, but if yep. my dog alerts in the middle of the night without barking, it will wake me up. Wow. And I, I don't know any other explanation for that other than they have some kind of energetic connection with us that my my brain goes, the dog is telling us something is wrong, wake him up. Right. And I actually had a, one of my dogs wake me up at a rest area. I was doing one of those long drives. I was probably going to Alaska or home from Alaska. Yep. And I stopped in a rest area and I was sleeping and my dog alerted and I woke up and I heard these because I cracked my windows in my truck and I heard some talking and it was something like, no, man, you do it. And I sat up and there were three like 15 to 18 year old Mexican boys. And I just grabbed my Glock 19 and I held it up to the window and I said, is there a problem, boys? They were like, no, no, no. And I was like, well, I guess I'm up now. I'm not going back to sleep at this location. <laughs> like, those sort of, they, like, that was probably the most, obviously, there was something potentially about to happen there. Um, but in, in my home and things like that, like, they just, I just wake up. And you can ask my wife, I go to sleep and I don't wake up for nothing until my alarm goes off in the morning. It annoys her sometimes. She's like, there was all this stuff going on. You wouldn't even wake up. I'm like, apparently my brain didn't think it was important enough at the time. So, um, so being able to turn and focus on your dog as you and your dog develop that bond, that energetic connection starts to come in when you're aware of it. And then you can stop worrying about all of that because it's almost like you have a battle buddy again, right? I think one of the reasons oh. I struggle with PTSD so much is in your unit, you don't have to watch everything. You have to watch your field of fire. That's what they call it. Like this is your responsibility if any bad guys come in this area, your job is to shoot them. And then the next guy overlaps your area a little bit, but that's his area. You don't worry about his area. He's got his area, right? And huh. you work this through the whole unit, depending on how you're moving, where you're moving, all that kind of stuff. And um, and then you get home and you're by yourself. Like you may still be going to work and whatever, but when you go shopping, you don't have your unit there with you anymore. But your brain is still telling you, I'm in a high threat environment. And now I'm responsible for all of it, right? And when you get a dog that has that natural state of hypervigilance, which is not exhausting to them, that's just the natural predatory state of that creature, is they're always looking around and checking. And their senses are picking up things that they may not be physically moving their head, but you'll see their ears will turn back. And then they might look back or they might go, oh, that's no big deal, turn their ear back forward again. <laughs> so they're always taking in their environment and adjusting to it. And then if you just become very aware of your dog, you it's not that you don't look around at all anymore, but you're much more relaxed in the way that you do it. And my opinion is that's the biggest benefit that soldiers with PTSD get from the dog is that it allows them to come down off of that intense focus 
and their adrenal system recovered because of it. I got one here from Nate. He says, at what age do you need to consider replacing them for protection? So I usually tell people you want to start looking at getting your replacement for your protection dog when they're about eight years old. Hmm. And, uh, and typically our dogs live to be between 10 and 12 years old, depending on how hard you run them. Um, so if you do all kinds of crazy stuff like I did when I was younger, um, you, you're probably more like in the 10 range. If they're mostly like in the house with you and stuff like that, and they're being well-fed and given moderate exercise, they'll probably go 12 and sometimes even longer. But I tell people after about age 10, if they do protect you, it's probably the last thing they'll do, right? That hmm. will probably be, the, you know, that will be enough for them that within a couple of days, their body will go, okay, we did our job. We're done. So I tell people that a lot of times people will ask this when they already have a dog that's not a protection dog, but it's getting older. And they go, should I get the new dog before my dog dies or should I get the new dog after my dog dies? And I go, well, that depends on your current dog. Is your current dog in your mind the perfect dog for you? Like, do they do the things you want them to do? Do they behave the way in your house you want them to behave? If your answer is, no, they're a pain in my ass and I want to get a better trained dog, then probably wait till they die and then get your replacement dog so that they're not learning the bad habits of your old dog. If your old dog is, they do, it's like they, we have the same brain. I can just think something and they go do it. They know all the things I want them to do. They behave perfectly in the house. I can, whatever it is that in my mind is the perfect dog, they do it. Then I go, then you probably want to get a dog before that dog dies so that your new dog can learn those behavior traits from your older dog and carry them on once the dog is, is passed. But typically for law enforcement, they say at eight, the dog has to be retired, eight years old. Okay. For protection, and you will see they are noticeably older when they hit about eight years old. It's like a person that's say sixty-five, right? Okay. Like if, if you say fit, you're good until even through your fifties a lot of times, right? But then sixty-five, even if you're still pretty good shape, you ain't a thirty-year-old anymore. No matter how good <laughs> shape you're in, right? If you're never going to be that again, and that you kind of see that at eight, and then it kind of declines into the nine and ten. And then at 10, like I had a female, Mally, that was doing bite work at 10 years old. Um, and it was about a month before she died. And wow. after that, she was just like, all right, I've had a good long life. Love you guys. I'm out. And like within 12 hours, she went from I'm happy and healthy to I'm not feeling good to I'm dead. And um, so it, it all depends on kind of when you feel like, um, do you want that? Do you want overlap? Or are you okay with a with a gap? And I will say this: anybody who's interested in getting a protection dog, whether it's from us or anybody else, you probably want to start looking at that a year before you want that dog. Right. So um, you know, a lot of people are like, "Yeah, I want a dog in a year. I'll contact you in a year." I'm like, "If you contact me in a year, you'll get a dog in two years." <laughs> it's it. I don't keep dogs on a shelf, right? They're they're not things that widgets that you print out and then put on a shelf and wait for somebody to buy. They are always aging. So most of my dogs go under contracts when they're puppies and then the person is paying them off while they're being trained and then they finish paying them off and they go home around the two year old mark. Really? Wow. Yeah. So you have them for two years before they go. Yep. Wow. And we breed. So we have, we control the whole process from selecting the breeding pair. I can tell you the dog's parents, grandparents, and often great grandparents. And we select the dogs for the protection program out of those dogs. So we pick about two or three dogs from each litter to put in the protection program. The rest we sell as puppies. And, uh, and then those dogs are trained up from six weeks old all the way through their final training here on our facility. 
So Lama Lama again wants to know: Do protection dogs treat women and men threats equally? So I would say, as a general rule, yes. Um, we used to do. We had, haven't done a lot of this lately. Um, I had I have had several females do bite work for me. The okay. dogs don't care. They don't care that it's a female in the bite suit. Um, what really turned me on to the way that we used to bring dogs out and bite work makes them just not care is we used to have, um, when I was training up in Canada, we had a, a military school that would bring, I think it was like 40 or 50 kids, anywhere from like, I guess the youngest were like 10 up to maybe like 14 or 15. And there'd be all these boys there. And one of the big things that they got to do when they came out to the training facilities, they got to get in the bite suit if they wanted to. And mm. so they put the bite suit on and then we deploy a dog on them and call the dog off. And our dogs didn't care that they were 15 year olds. When I said deploy, they deployed and they would bite and then they'd recall. And one of the kids actually asked me, well, what do you say to make the dogs deploy? And I say, well, I say take them, but I could say banana if I wanted to, because it's more how I say it than what I'm saying. And they were like, no, no, you can't. So I waited for the next kid to get all suited up and everything. And we have guys like down near him to make sure he's safe. And, and, you know, I'm running my dog where, you know, we, we, run dogs that we know have solid outs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so he's all suited up and she's on the tail bed of a truck. And I just kind of glanced down at her and I just went banana and she took down and tore him up and came back. So yeah, they don't tend to care who the person is. What they care about is, is their aggression? Is their aggression in the person? One of the drills we used to do up there. Um, I wouldn't do this here just because the liability is so high, but that same day that the, all those boys would come, we had a school bust. We'd load all the kids in the school bus and we'd have a bad guy in the back of the school bus. And he's yelling at the kids, you know, I'm going to kill one person every minute if you don't meet my demands and blah, blah, blah. And we'd tell the boys before all this started, we'd say, as soon as you see this dog move, I want you to scream. And I want you to get off the bus. I don't care how you get off the bus. You run to the front. You can open the exit door on the back. You can jump out the windows. I don't care. <laughs> get off the bus. And we would deploy this dog into a bus full of people. And it would go into the bus. It would dart around the kids. Some dogs would do different things. Some dogs would jump on top of the seats and run across the top of the seats. Some dogs would shoot under and like like crouch down and run under the seats. But they always avoided all the kids and went for the person who was being aggressive because they're trained to target aggression. They're not trained to randomly bite a human-based, you know, human-looking creature. If there's no aggression... They're like, there's no threat here. I'm not biting it. But they they target and seek out the aggression, and then they go in and engage it. Cabot wants to know, how often do you have a dog that doesn't bond with a new person or owner? As long as the people follow my instructions, never. I've never had one in all the years I've doing this. So the one problem that I had, um, I have had people not bond to their dog. I've had that once or twice where they, they just got it in their head that they were getting like, it's usually somebody who's really wealthy and has like <laughs> 10 cars and they all sit in either a garage or sometimes they have those lifts and, and they're the person who collects things and puts them on a shelf. Uh-huh. Right. And, and they think I'm going to get this dog and I'm just going to put it on a shelf as another thing that I have to show off. And it's like, that's not how dogs work. Like you must handle your dog. So uh, I've had a few people that, you know, get, disillusioned by that and they're like well i thought it would just be like my car and sit there and i never need to do anything with it 
Um, but I've gotten pretty good at weeding those guys out over the years. But the one issue I had where a dog, the dog bonded to the wife and the children. But within the first week of the dog has been delivered, I don't know what the situation was. The husband eventually admitted that this happened. But when I first brought it up, I said, it sounds like this happened. And he was like, no, that didn't happen. But he had an anger explosion on his family. Oh, yelling and screaming. And I don't know if he was throwing things. I don't know exactly what happened. No accusations. I just know he had the dog went. You are the threat to them. And he had already been staying home with them and all that kind of stuff for three or four days. So he'd started bonding to the family and he went, you're now the threat. So every time he would come home, the dog would bark at him and then they'd go, leave it alone. It's okay. It's, it's him. And he would kind of go, "Mm, okay. But if he went into a room and was in there for more than five minutes, it came out of the room. The dog would bark at him. It's actually striker right there on my bed. My personal dog, one of the best dogs that there is. Right. But he decided that man was a threat to that woman and children and he was like, nope, I'm not, I'm not accepting you anymore. So what we did, they had him for, I think we worked with him for about two months. And because um, I'm going, well, if that didn't happen, then I, sh- I should be able to help. And then eventually he's like, okay, yeah, that's what happened. I'm like, why didn't you just tell me that in the beginning? I would have just swapped your dogs out for you right off the bat. So I had him come down. I, I said, but this time you're coming down without your wife and kids. I'm going to deliver the dog to you. And then now you guys have already all had the other training in your first delivery. So you're going to come down and get this second dog. You're going to bring me that dog back. And then you're going to take this dog back and introduce it to the family. And then they've had that dog for now three or four years and they love him to death. And so they were a little upset about it in the beginning because it happened. But I'm like, well, once the dog's decided that person's a threat and he actually was a threat in the dog's eyes, at least it's like, you're not fixing that. So that's the only time I've ever had something like that happen. So moral of the story is if you get one of our dogs, don't have a domestic violence situation in your home, like within the first three months, let the dog bond to everybody before you start slapping each other around. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) All right. Last question from the audience. So freedom media court wants to know what to do about a female Rottweilers fighting ready to give up on this Serbian import. She's attacked by other female three times now when she's gotten loose. What would you say? So to give a detailed answer, I'd need a lot more information than that. Fair enough. Generally what I do is number one, I I introduce my dogs to each other and other dogs when they're puppies. So Mm -hmm. when you're doing protection dogs, it's very, very common. My males almost always do this. At some point that male will challenge you and he'll go, I don't want to do the thing you're telling me to do. You're correcting me for doing it. So I think what I should do is bite you and you'll stop making me have to do that thing. And I want them to do it when they're 15 weeks old or so, like they're still small. Right. And I want them to challenge me so I can snatch him off the ground and go knock that shit off. Don't ever put your teeth on me again. I can put him right back on the ground and they go, holy shit. Okay. I'm never challenging him again. And then that dog is wonderful the rest of its life. If that dog challenges you and you don't fix it right then, it goes, oh, that worked. I can keep using that, right? If they do it with another dog, the same kind of thing happens. They go, well, I attacked this dog. I'm the dominant one. It's it's enough that it wants to keep challenging, but I'm the dominant one, so I can just keep fighting. So if you have multiple dogs, you want to introduce your new dogs, assuming your, your older dogs are good, right? 
you want to introduce new dogs as puppies okay or or previously trained dogs right you don't want to bring in an adult untrained dog in that situation you're just asking for trouble and if you do you have to be really on top of that dog and if you're not willing to have the fight with the dog if it challenges then don't bring the dog home and you have to win that fight you have to win that fight so it happens occasionally like some of my clients will come in and they're like i have an aggression issue and i tell them right up front i say if that dog becomes aggressive i'm going to give you a split second to fix it and if you don't i'm stepping in and i will deal with it up to and including stabbing it with this knife right here to death right in front of you if that's what it takes to make it safe around these people and, and other dogs so we have a zero tolerance for unwarranted aggression and that means that you have to bring the level of fight to the dog exactly that it's bringing to the situation right now you can do that in a couple of different ways it's not always hands-on because that is dangerous you can try and use an e-collar you can put it in here's what i would do in that situation if there's fighting i'd put the e-collar on that dog's basically going to live in that e-collar for as long as it takes to get them over this issue for however long you're willing to deal with it i crank it all the way up to maximum and i don't do there so there's on almost all e-collar remotes there's a button that you hit and it just gives them a little touch it's like boop, that's all it gives but there's another button on the other side typically that's called constant hmm. you hold that button down and it keeps going until you let go and, <clears throat> and i i would put the dog out and the second it even looked at the other dog that it likes to fight with I just go one, two, three, four, five, done. I treat it the same way Jack treats the dogs that are trying to go after chickens, right? Sure. Look at that dog and you will get shocked. And I make it intense enough that they just start going, I don't want anything to do with that dog. Now, the one thing you have to balance here is you don't, you don't want to make it where the dog then begins like fleeing away from the other dog. Right. So the minute the dog is calm and, and this requires you to be able to read the dog, which is where most people struggle because dogs are always giving us communication They communicate with their bodies and their body language. And that's how they receive communication from one another. And that's how they give communication back. And if you're ignorant to the communication your dog is giving you, you'll say something like they got in a dog fight and it came out of nowhere. <laughs> well, that's what you say. Then you are ignorant to your dog's communication. You probably just need to get rid of the dog that's having problems because you lack the skill to interpret the dog's communication to you. But the minute that dog says, I'm thinking about going over and attacking that dog, you zap them. The minute they calm down, you praise them. Okay. Good, job. good easy, good, leave it. See, there's no problems here. Relax. One, two, three, four, five. I said you fucking leave it. Good, leave it. Not a girl. And you have to be able to make that intense correction, total relaxation. Tense correction, total relaxation. And that, and most people really struggle with that. That's why if you have these issues, probably you need to get with a, a experienced trainer that's dealt with these before. Um, at this age, at this point in my life, I'm pretty much over dealing with that anymore. I'm like, if a lot of people think they have an aggression issue and it's not really an aggression issue, but if you have a true aggression issue, I go, you have to come to private training and to do a private training class with me is $500 an hour. You know why it's $500 an hour? I don't want to do it. I totally get it. The next class is $700 an hour. And if you have that kind of money and you're willing to solve your problem, I'll help you for that kind of money. But I'm over helping people fix the problems that they created that they're unwilling to do the work to fix. So uh, I'm not saying that's you. I can't remember her name. It's off the screen now. I'm not saying it's just if you have that problem, I would recommend 
having somebody help you. But if you don't have the ability to do that, I would try the e-collar. If it works, wonderful. Just don't overdo it. That's the, it can sometimes become a thing where we overdo the correction. And I want, what we're looking for is equilibrium, right? What we're looking for is the dogs to get along and to be in harmony with each other. And so I don't want the dog to, to look at the other dog in that direction and then go, oh shit, I messed up and run the other way, right? But I also, it's unacceptable to have that aggression. That I just go, that's a 100% unacceptable response by the dog, right? We, we, what do we do with people that do that in our society? We put them in boxes called jails, right? And if it's bad enough, we put them down. And so if a dog is behaving that way, it may become a situation where that's your only uh, answer. But um, the e-collar, especially if, you know, comparatively a Rottweiler is a big dog. Most people aren't big enough to really fight with a Rottweiler. I wouldn't want to do it. Um, I may try it in a bite suit, but it's, it's a dangerous thing if the dog is full grown. And so the e-collar would be your safest way to attempt to fix that problem. Cool. Well, Joel, we have been two hours and five minutes. What a great awesome. long yeah, I was, I was going to say conversation, but I did a lot of listening. Man, I learned it. Holy cow, this was great, man. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. So how, how do people find you what, if, they, if they're if they like, oh, I want a family protection dog or, well, you know, what, what kind of things can they follow you on too? Absolutely. Well, our website is fortressk9.com. That's where you can get information on our protection dogs. Um, we're currently having it rebuilt, but it's the, the site exists as it is. Uh, there's going to be a much cooler, better site coming up soon. Uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Uh, if you want to find out about getting a puppy from us, it's fortressk9.com slash like the forward slash puppies. And then if you already have a dog and you want help with training, we have an online training academy called Canine Academy, the letter K, the number nine, canineacademy.us. Um, I'll be at Self-Reliance Festival. So if you're going there, uh, touch base with us. That's a great way to do that. Um, people can always email me at joel, J-O-E-L, at fortressk9.com. Um, I am on Float, uh, MeWe, TikTok, Instagram. I'm currently suspended from Facebook. That's an interesting story. I don't know if we have time to get into it, though. Um, but And on YouTube. So uh, you can find us at Fortress Canine on any of those platforms and DM. I have a lot of people contact me via DMs on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, and then I, I give out my phone number frequently. I always tell people, don't call me. If you call me, I won't answer, but text me and I'll reply to you. And um, my cell phone number is 813-836-9244. And uh, if we need to set up a phone conversation, we will text about it. And then we can set that phone conversation up. Um, but I tell people, you call me and I don't know if it's going to be a two-minute conversation or a two-hour conversation. And I'm working all day. So I can glance at a text and go, oh, I'll respond to that later. Or I can glance at a text and go, I can answer that right now. And... Um, and so that's the reason behind that. It's not because like I'm, I'm too uh, stuck up to talk to people. I just can't get my days interrupted too much or I don't get anything done. But yeah, so that's it. TikTok, MeWe, Float, Instagram, all of those are at Fortress K9. Uh, and then YouTube, if you go on and search for Fortress K9, our channel will show up. Uh, we do a live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, and then I also upload those as my podcast. So people can get on there and, um, and then reach out to us. And if you have questions about dog training in general, um, you know, I can't do long drawn out explanations, but I'm happy to help people with something simple. And, um, and then if you get on the canine Academy, we have a forum on there that once you well, actually, the forum is open to the public. All you have to do is register on the website and, uh, and then you can get onto our forum and ask us questions. And if you go to canineacademy.us and then click on the forums on the top menu, uh, it'll take you to the forums there. Sweet. 
So I, I think I'd love to have you back. I mean, obviously, but I, I don't know, in a couple of months or something, if you're up for it, maybe we'll collect up some questions. I'd love to get more into, so we talk mostly protection dogs and I had a thousand questions I'd love to, you know, go on about, but I'd love to talk more about just general training and behavioral issues and things like that too, if you're up for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That'd be great. Cool. That'd be awesome. If, well, if anybody, uh, if you want to like put out for your audience to send questions in in advance, then, um, we can have a bunch of those that we can go through as well. That'd be great. If you're up for it, man, I'd love it because, and I'll have a bunch for you too, because my dogs are assholes and I'm sure it's a bad owner thing and not a bad dog thing, but you know, is what it a lot, is. Right? A lot of times the solution is simple, but not evident. Right. Yes. So it's like, Oh wait, that's all you have to do. And I'm like, it's weird how simple so many things are, but we overcomplicate it in our brain. And then we're like, I don't understand. And then somebody shows you and you're like, it can't be that easy. And it's like, yep, it was that easy. But uh, yeah, I'd be happy to, to go through a lot of those. Cool. That'd be good. If, if you want to hang around in the background for one second, I'll just wrap the show up and uh, I'll Perfect. be right back with you. Cool. Sounds awesome. Thanks, Joel. Pleasure being here. Well, guys, that was awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't think we'd have a two two hour and 10 minute conversation, but I, I think we could have went another two hours. Joel's just full of it in, in the best way possible, of course. <laughs> He's definitely a friend of the show, and I can't wait to actually meet him. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to find him, we're both going to be at <laughs> Prepper Camp at the end of September, and we're also going to both be at Self-Reliance Festival uh, end of September, first weekend in October. So that's going to be exciting. But anyway, guys, I thank you very much. I imagine we'll end up splitting this episode into two parts for the audio, just simply so people aren't completely shocked by a two hour plus episode. And guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.